Hello, I'm Tash and you're listening to episode 233 of Chat Disney. to another episode of the Chat Disney podcast and today is the finale of our Disney Princess costuming mini-series and today I'm going to be doing a deep dive into reinventing the Disney Princess costume with a close look at Merida, Moana and Raya. But before I get into that let's have a quick look at what has been happening in the world of Disney this week. So before we get into the news of what's been happening in the world of Disney this week, if you follow us on social media, you may be aware that we have some very exciting personal news to share, first of all. And I can officially announce that Mercedes, my lovely co-host, has given birth to a beautiful, healthy baby boy, which we are very, very excited about over here on the Chat Disney podcast. Now, I did put a little teaser out on Twitter over the weekend just to see if anyone thought that the baby might have a Disney-inspired name. Well, I'm very excited to actually announce the name here. So his first name is Teddy, so no Disney references there. And one of his middle names is Flynn. So I know a lot of you are probably like, Flynn are, of course, inspired by Flynn Rider from Tangled. Um, I can actually caveat that and say that Mercedes and I used to go to school with someone called Flynn. So it's a name that we've been made aware of for a very, very long time. And a name that I know Mercedes has loved for for years prior to to Tangled coming to our screens. Um, But there we are, a little Disneyism in there anyway. Um, So yeah, we wish Mercedes and her family all the best. And now I really am going to move on to what's been happening in the world of Disney this week. And kicking off with the OG Park Disneyland. And they have announced that they are going to be making some changes to their early entry policy for 2024. And this is available when you're staying at one of the resort hotels. Currently, you can either choose if you enter California Adventure 30 minutes early or Disneyland. From January 24, this is going to change and they will only have one park available for the early entry each day and it will alternate each day so you'll have to check which one is going to be open, meaning that you don't have the choice of which park you go to first anymore. Very, very excitingly, we've had our first look at the inside for Tiana's Palace restaurant and there is a lot of really cool attention to detail. We see lots of lilies throughout, there are cookbooks and beautiful artwork of the bayou. Possibly even more excitingly, we've also had the full menu released and it does, as speculated, include the classics from The Princess and the Frog like beignets and gumbo and a lot of other typical American cuisine. Definitely do go and check it out. I'm hoping to visit there next year on my trip to California. Heading over to Walt Disney World and the parking trams are coming back to Epcot and Hollywood Studios. Now these haven't run since September 2020 but they will be back in action from September which I think a lot of people will be relieved to hear as it's another way of getting around the parks. Heading over to Tokyo and some more really exciting news. We have had it announced this week that the attraction names and descriptions for some of the rides coming to the Fantasy Springs expansion in Tokyo Disney Sea have been released. So these are based around Frozen, Tangled and Peter Pan. So I'm not going to go massively into the descriptions of, of each ride because I'll be here for a long time. 
But in terms of the names, so we've got Anna and Elsa's Frozen Journey, which we know is a boat ride. We've got Rapunzel's Lantern Festival, another boat ride. Peter Pan's Neverland Adventure, which is a 3D attraction. So I'm interested to hear more about what that entails as more details get released. And Fairy Tinkerbell's Busy Buggy, which is following Tinkerbell as she starts a new delivery service. I'm not crazy about any of the names here, um, but I do look forward to getting some more details about the attractions and seeing some design artwork and that kind of stuff once we get closer to opening. We also have some Disney Plus news today, and for any Cinderella fans out there, there is a new 4K restoration available to watch on Disney Plus. So they've basically restored the original movie to look even better than ever before. Now, we touched upon this a few weeks ago when we were talking about Cinderella in our Disney um, princess costuming series, and a lot of people complain that where they have done previous restorations on the movie it has scrubbed it so much of all the kind of natural grain and detail that originally came with that movie when it was first released. I haven't watched this version yet myself so I don't know if we get any of those details back or if it's kind of scrubbed out even more and um, so yeah I might check this out just out of interest to, to see what the new version looks like. And finally, we've got some other news today. So Samsung have actually released a new TV called the Frame Disney 100 Edition. Now, this is a TV that Samsung have produced that looks like a piece of art. So you can have it up on your wall and you can have an image projected onto the screen. So it just looks like a painting that you've got hung up in, in your house. This one that they have now released offers an exclusive collection of over 100 Disney artworks. It is beautiful. It also comes with a remote control that is inspired by Mickey and has a Disney Plus button that will take you direct to Disney Plus. I love it. It's very expensive. I'm not going to be buying it anytime soon, but I think it's pretty cool. Disney are also releasing a new podcast called Frozen Forces of Nature, as if the world couldn't get enough of Frozen. And listeners will be able to follow along Elsa and Anna, as well as new characters, to solve the mystery behind what has been disrupting the balance of the Enchanted Forest. This will be available on anywhere you get your podcasts from October 2023. And finally, Destination D23, which will be taking place at Disney's Contemporary Resort in Orlando from September the 8th through to September the 10th, um, has actually now sold out. Um, they have recently announced a full presentation and a full schedule of what is going to be going on that weekend. Do check it out online. And this will be something that I will be speaking about again in a couple of weeks time. Hopefully we will get some exciting announcements. Destination D23 is kind of the smaller younger brother or sister event to the D23 main expo that happens every two years. But hopefully we should still get some exciting announcements from this one. And that concludes everything that has been happening in the world of Disney this week. We're now going to move on to the main part of the episode, talking all about reinventing the Disney princess costume. <laughs> So as mentioned in today's introduction, this is the final part of our Disney Princess costuming mini-series. And today I'm going to be discussing reinventing Disney Princess costuming. So we're looking at those 
kind of really modern Disney princesses. So Merida, Moana and Raya. And I think these three really kind of stand out as a group together because it is the first time that none of them have love interests at all. I know that Disney kind of broke the mould a little bit with Elsa and Anna in the sense that those that Frozen wasn't a love movie, but obviously they are not included in the Disney princess lineup. They are a franchise of their own. So we haven't included them in this mini series, but I'm sure we will probably go to talking about their costuming at some point as there is definitely a lot to unpack and delve into there. So starting off with Merida and Merida is a very special princess in lots of ways. And she really, really did kind of turn the tables um, in terms of princesses, not least because she is, of course, our first Disney Pixar princess, which makes her very special. And it, she was introduced into the official princess lineup. Um, I think it was a couple of years maybe after Brave was released. Um, and I think people were really overjoyed to see a Pixar princess. I mean, she actually is really the only Pixar princess that we have, if you think about all the Pixar movies. But I think it was nice to see a Pixar or Pixar actually even do a princess type character and kind of really reinvent her. She visibly seems a lot younger than the other princesses, although she is 16, which is the same age as, as Ariel and Rapunzel, and probably a lot of them are, are that age as well. Um, but she just seems a lot more younger in the sense of, you know, she lives with both her parents, she has those three younger brothers, she comes across as very playful, she's not interested in settling down like some of those earlier Disney princesses who are of the same age. She's a real tomboy, much more so than than someone like Mulan, who up until this point has probably been considered the most tomboyish out of all the Disney princesses. You know, she loves her, her, her archery, loves her horse riding, fighting. She really is quite a different role model compared to the previous Disney princesses that we have seen. So in terms of designing her, Disney took inspiration from model Lily Cole for Merida's look. And I think that when you look at Lily Cole, she's a British model, you can see where the inspiration lies. She has that kind of fair, um, like red hair too. She's got those big, big eyes, that pale complexion. And this is definitely what they have done with Merida. She's got that long, amazing, curly red wild uncontrollable hair um that again really adds to I think sort of her, her the wildness of, of her character and the sort of free-spirited nature that she has um and it's very stereotypical of the Scottish look you know pale complexion blue eyes red hair we see Scottish people as depicted like that a lot in in cartoons um, and in, in the media. Um, she's very slim, which again, similar to a lot of our Disney princesses, we are still yet to have a more curvaceous Disney princess. Maybe that will happen at some point in the next 10 years. It would definitely be nice to see. So Brave is set in 10th century Scotland and the main outfit that we see Merida wear is that dark um, kind of tealy emerald green um, Scottish gown, um, which is made of wool. And it's quite typical for, you know, it's a very medieval style dress. It's quite typical as to what would have been worn in those times, although Disney have obviously streamlined it a bit to make it more aesthetically pleasing for audiences and 
at this point we know when they create these Disney princesses a lot of what they are thinking from the get-go is about marketing so they need to create a costume that is going to be you know easy to market in terms of selling things like dolls and merchandise and the costume for little girls and, and you know boys if they want to to dress up in um so they've definitely made it more aesthetically pleasing in that sense I love the color of this dress I really I mean green is my absolute favorite color and I just love that kind of like tealy look on her with the red hair I think it suits her so so much um we also see her in one other outfit in the film which is when the lord's um, arrive for the games to compete for her hand and again she's wearing a similar kind of medieval style um more of like a turquoisey blue gown with the long arms it's got that same sort of gold trim on it and she's got a white wimple on her head um, with a crown which would have been used to keep her hair in place in reality for medieval scotland at this time she probably would have been married at, at 16 and married women always wore a wimple so obviously Disney here are trying to go against stereotypes and you know their kind of previous tradition of setting young women and girls up for romance um, from a young age so it's not quite historically accurate in that sense but we love to see it we love to see that they're changing things here um scottish clothing traditionally would have consisted of two garments so the the lean or the line which was a tunic or a dress and the brat which was a cloak and we see merida in both of these things we see her most often in her everyday dress which is that um that emerald that sort of emeraldy green woolen number that i spoke about already with with the long sleeves um which would have been fairly typical for for scotland at that time fancy dresses would have been in silk more so it does make you wonder if because you know she is a princess she was born into royalty would that dress have actually been woolen would it been have been more likely to have been silk probably we do see the silk in that second outfit that she wears which is probably considered to be her her more fancy you know evening dress or, or occasion dress whereas the main dress that we see her in is definitely sort of her everyday more casual clothes so again designers probably made this um more or come across as more of like a cotton woolen material because it is more practical and it kind of emphasizes that fact that that's her sort of everyday look these dresses often would have also been teamed with a belt um either a leather or leather or a woven belt and we do see that with merida as well i think it looks like a leather it's kind of like a brownish um belt that she wears quite low down um and we see that a lot in in the marketing as well now something really important to discuss when we talk about merida is how she was marketed when she was um introduced to the disney princess lineup so it was in 2013 that they announced she was going to be brought into the disney um, princess lineup and they released an image of a redesign of merida in preparation for her her coronation to to the lineup and the redesign of her character featured a much much slimmer waist um a more revealing neckline bigger eyes and they added sparkle to her dress essentially if you look at this image she looks a lot more adult she doesn't look like a child or a teenager she looks a lot more adult and it's more of a kind of sexy look for merida i would say as well 
As expected, there was a lot of controversy around this at the time, and a lot of feminist groups criticised Disney for disempowering Merida. And, you know, you think about Merida and her character, she's really broken the mould with the Disney princess. She is, you know, her own person. She's so free-spirited. She's such a, you know, tomboy. She's wild. She's free. She doesn't have a love interest. She doesn't care what she looks like, really. And all of a sudden, we now have this kind of overly sexualized adult version of her, which is nothing like her former self. And it really kind of doesn't do justice to why she was created in the first place. Um, so there was actually a petition that was organized with people calling for Disney to change this and to introduce her into the Disney Princess lineup in her original form. And that petition actually received over 20,000 signatures in seven days. And as you can imagine, there were a lot of parents that were outraged, outraged by this as well. Finally, there was a really positive role model for, for their daughters. You know, it was around this time as well that it kind of came to light. There was a lot of um, controversy around the character of Ariel with actresses and famous people like Kira Knightley speaking out saying that actually they weren't going to show The Little Mermaid to their children because they didn't like how Ariel was portrayed and the fact that she gives up her voice for a man and things like that. So kind of going hand in hand with that, Disney then suddenly changing Merida to kind of fit in with that old stereotype um, of how they had been marketing and producing princesses for so long really went against the reason that she was created in the first place. And they did actually release a statement about this saying, the artwork used on Merida would remain in her original form. And saying, the artwork used on Merida's official social media site has always been the imagery from the movie. There have been no changes. We routinely use different art styles with our characters and this rendition of Merida in her party dress was a special one-time effort to commemorate her coronation. Merida exemplifies what it means to be a Disney princess through being brave, passionate and confident and she remains the strong and determined Merida from the movie whose inequalities have inspired mums and daughters around the world. I mean, I think this is a bit of a, of a, of a fob off from them. I think if you look at it, you can definitely see that it is not an entirely different dress to what she wears in the original. If they wanted her to have a special coronation gown, they could have taken more inspiration from that gown and created something completely different. They've done it before, you know, we see it with Ariel when she has that um, kind of greeny dress that is not in any of the movies. So it wouldn't be that they were doing this for the first time. They could have easily created something completely different for her. But I think even that would have been met with some controversy as well. I don't think it's so much about the costuming. I think it is about how they have animated her in terms of making her just look more adult. We do now tend to see her in the Disney lineup more true to her original form, um, but we do still sometimes see that kind of reinvented version as well. But that pretty much sums up Moana, so let's move on to talking about our next Disney princess, who is, of course, the lovely Moana. And Moana, again, really fits into this kind of reimagining of the Disney princess because she's another young female princess um, that we see who you know she's very very adventurous the whole movie is about her going on an expedition and a quest and although she teams up with with Maui Maui is very much a friend or I even think of Maui as a bit of a father figure with her to, to be honest um, but there is absolutely no love interest in sight for her 
and she's a very very good role model for you know young girls and boys again in terms of her sheer determination and her courageousness and so when creating Moana they wanted her to appear as more of a realistic role model as well you know she doesn't have that kind of tiny hourglass waist and that big bust that we see in a lot of the earlier Disney princesses she does look more more strong I guess is is the right way to say it you know she's very physical she does a lot of climbing and jumping into the water and things like that in the movie and you know even living on on the island um you know they're constantly carrying coconuts and they all work together and there's a lot of hard labor and um, that we kind of see in that first song um where you are so yeah it would make sense that Moana has more of like an, a you know a strong physique and I think they have captured that that very well in terms of making her look look more realistic we actually see Moana in several forms so we start off with seeing her in her kind of baby toddler form and then we do see her grow we sort of see her become a child a teenager and then as her kind of adult self I guess um, or young adult self I, I don't know if we know how old Moana is but again I would imagine that she's meant to be around that age of 16 the same as a lot of our Disney princesses um, and that's obviously how we see her for the majority of the movie we actually do see quite a lot of costume changes with Moana um, from you know the little nappy that she's in as a toddler to various headdresses and things like that um, in sort of the montage of where you are at the beginning of the movie. I am just going to focus on her main Voyager outfit, which is the one most people associate with Moana, because a lot of the other outfits we do see only really fleetingly. And I think when you think about Moana, you do instantly think of this one outfit, which is, you know, how we see her in the parks and how we see her in marketing. So... In terms of creating the character of Moana and her costuming, they really wanted to stay true to um, the you know Pacific Islands and the Polynesian culture, which is where Moana is obviously set. So they did conduct a large amount of research on the Pacific Islands. Um, the film is actually intended to be set 2000 years before current time. So there were no photo references or video references or anything like to that to, to compare or to kind of get inspiration from. So because of this, they contacted the Pacific Trust who actually sent representatives to Disney with authentic textile samples that would have been present in ancient Polynesian times. And two of these materials that occur throughout the film in pretty much all characters is a material called tapa which we see in Moana's top and a pandanus which we see for her skirt and these materials are natural so they're quite um they're quite structured they don't obviously move in the same way that that fabric would so because of this so Nasa Bovi I think that's how you say her name who was basically the costume designer for Moana um she has actually said before in interview when, interviews when talking about Moana's outfit that it you can't animate it in the same way that you do, you know, a, a dress that, you know, say Cinderella would wear or something like that because these are quite structured, rigid materials. And obviously, you know, as I've already said, Moana is very physical and she's moving around a lot. So, of course, animating um, animating this proved to be quite difficult when making the movie because the clothes 
wouldn't if you think about them in real life they wouldn't move in the same way that you know cotton or silk or any other material would move so they did obviously have to kind of stray a little bit from how these materials would act in reality and they did things like they added a slit to the front of Moana's skirt so that she could do different activities and she could jump and things more easily without it looking ridiculous. Colours were also really important when they were making the movie as well. So red is a big colour that is used in Polynesian culture and um, it signifies royalty. So we see Moana in the colour red. I mean, her actual top in sort of the main outfit that she wears is more of like a burnt orange, but we do see her in red at several points throughout the film. One um, piece of costuming that I do just want to touch upon, which we see her in when she is a child, again, in that um, where we are sequence, is that gorgeous red headdress that she wears, um, which again, just, you know, shows that she is the, the chief, the, the chief's daughter headwear like this would have been worn um quite a lot in things like special ceremonies and things like that by people of importance and it's got those red feathers um with white feathers coming out of the top there's a lot of beading and detailing on it there's a white shell at the front again to, to kind of keep that connection going with the sea and it's just something really different for a Disney princess that we've seen I guess you know we're used to seeing crowns and things like that and tiaras whereas this is a crown I guess in a very different form and I'm actually sad that we don't see it for more of the movie because I think it is really um it's quite a different piece and it's very of the Polynesian culture and it's just really really gorgeous I would love to see Moana in the parks wearing this we also see her in various flower crowns and things like that throughout the movie as well which I think you know is true to Polynesian culture but I think you know flower crowns definitely have their place in in this day and age so I think that for you know in terms of marketing and you know selling her costume and things like that I think that this was you know just a bit of, of luck that something that's kind of considered a bit in now and um, they could make as part of Moana's costume and it wouldn't be too sort of far from from the reality um, and then I guess the final thing that we want to talk about when we talk about Umawana is, of course, her necklace, which is seen throughout pretty much the entire film. It's given to her by her grandma at the beginning of the movie. And it's one of the most important artefacts because it does contain the heart of Tefiti. And it's very, very sought over. You know, there's a whole sequence where the Kakamora are after the heart of Tefiti. Tamatoa wants it because he sees that it's shiny there's a lot of emphasis on it so it had to be important and there was a lot of consideration taken when they were doing the design of the necklace and it was actually based on a shell that the research team found on the Pacific Islands um, that was kind of made up of all these blues and greens like these real kind of ocean colours which obviously suit the story of Moana and her character being so connected to the water um, and so they added that to her necklace as well as curves and, and things to suggest the land and the sea because you know she goes to the sea she's a voyager and then they also added some little star carvings as well because she uses the stars to navigate. So I really like that they did that. They kind of took the story of Moana and took certain important elements for it from it into creating this necklace, which I think is lovely. And then the Heart of Tefiti itself is green. And Greenstone is a very important um, 
stone to the Maori people and it's often carved into heirloom treasures that are believed to contain the spirit of their ancestors. And of course, the um, heart of Tafiti is put into the necklace and given to her by her grandmother. So again, it's just bringing that whole nod to the Polynesian culture into the movie, which I really, really like. So the final princess I'm going to talk about today, um, and she is the final princess of all the princesses because she is the last official princess of the official Disney princess lineup is Raya from Raya and the Last Dragon and again she is a princess in a very different way she's not born into royalty she doesn't marry into royalty she's more of like a an action warrior princess she's you know she's the daughter of a chief um but at this point I think we can really look into what Disney are now defining to be a princess you know it doesn't necessarily have to be someone who is royal of blood or who marries into royalty in fact actually if we look at all the princesses that we've spoken about today and even some in um the last episode where we spoke about spoke about um modern Disney princesses it really is taking those characteristics of you know bravery and determination and independence in order to make someone be characterised as a princess. And we see that with Raya, again, as we've seen with our past few princesses, absolutely no love interest or love story in Raya and the Last Dragon. It's all about her quest to save her father, save her people, and the friends that she makes along the way. It's a real action-adventure movie. So the movie of Raya and the Last Dragon didn't do too well at the box office I actually quite like it I've watched it a couple of times and it's one of those films that has grown on me the more I've watched it but it's set in Kamandra which again is a fictional place so it's inspired by Southeast Asian cultures so gave the costume designers and the filmmakers a little bit of freedom when designing the the wardrobe for the characters and Raya in particular um, in the movie because they didn't have one place or one sort of time zone to look to for inspiration so for their research they went to places like Brunei, Singapore, Laos, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia and the Philippines um, and conducted a lot of research there and the filmmakers and production team actually formed the Southeast Asia Story Trust um, which is a collective of, of cultural consultants for the film basically so this was made up of people from these various countries who they would then turn to for advice um, and to basically check ideas and design elements of the movie the set the characters the costumes etc were kind of true to what they were trying to create with the fictional country of Kamandra. So the character of Raya herself is actually based on the co-writer of the movie, Adele Lim, her experience of growing up with strong Southeast Asian women rather than being placed on based on one person in particular. Um, the story of Raya and the Last Dragon, again with the water dragons, is something that is seen in Southeast Asian culture, folktale kind of stuff, but the actual story is completely fiction and original. So similar to Moana in terms of creating a costume that would allow her freedom of movement, obviously with Moana I spoke about it was a little bit more difficult because of the materials that they used were real materials that were used by um, Polynesian cultures. Um, Raya's costume is basically entirely designed to allow 
freedom of movement and to be very practical you know we see a lot of fighting in this movie it's really action-packed there's a lot of running jumping climbing things like that so to make it easy to animate they decided to come up with a costume that would allow this and that would be a realistic costume for her to wear and as I say part different parts of it are based on different parts of South Southeast Asian clothing that, that we would see so her hat for example is identical to a hat that you would find in the Philippines um, and the traditional headgear that they wore. Um, whereas her actual costume, her dress, is heavily based on Cambodian wear. Um, the dress is actually called a sampot and it's made from a rectangular cloth that is worn around the lower body. So it's things like that. They really paid attention to materials um, that again were used within in the Southeast Asian culture to kind of create this original look for the character of Raya. Um, she also has trousers and she's the first princess since Princess Jasmine who is in trousers and I think this is something that I would really like to see more. I love, love a princess in, in trousers. Um, the outfit that she wears features a lot of aquatic colours, so greens and blues, to symbolise, obviously, water's importance within the movie. Sisu is a water dragon, so that plays a huge, huge part in the story's narrative. I'm talking about her costume that she wears as a child here. Her adult costume is a lot more made up of earthy tones, so we've got sort of khakis, yellows, browns, things like that. Again, kind of bridging that connection between water and earth. And then the cloak that she wears filmmakers wanted to add that in to give her a little bit of a sense of mystery almost acting like a bit of a cover a bit of a shield for her and I definitely get that with Raya I think not least because Raya and the Last Dragon is probably one of the movies I'm least familiar with out of all the Disney princess movies but I definitely get that element of mystery from Raya I feel like she's quite a closed book quite a quite hard character to read she's quite serious she's a lot more serious than a lot of the other Disney princesses maybe I actually would kind of compare her to the likes of Pocahontas a little bit I think Pocahontas is quite serious but she does also have that kind of playful edge to her especially when she's hanging out with you know Miko for example and I kind of get that with Raya as well I think we see her kind of I don't know like melt away a little bit towards the end of the movie and as she becomes closer with with Sisu but obviously you know she's had a traumatic past she's lost her father he's been frozen by this curse so it kind of stands to reason that she would be quite unsocial you know she's made it her life's mission to save him and save her people and I think that this cape, this cape kind of help represents that side of her personality and that kind of closed offness that, that she has with with everyone else um, and then her hairstyle was designed as a top of the head braid um, with sort of a pin back, back look with the intention of, again, being very practical in those fight scenes, those action scenes, so that we can see her expressions, her hair's not going to get in the way when she's fighting. So I think out of all the Disney princesses, I think we start to see it with... I mean, we, we probably start to see it more with, with Moana than someone like Pocahontas, but I think with Raya every element of her outfit as well as being you know inspired by where the movie is is set or where the movie is based on is really to allow the character her, you know her personality to, to develop and for her freedom of, of movement and things like that within the film so there we have it that is our disney princess 
costuming mini series brought to a close and I do hope that you enjoyed listening to this I'm sure at some point in the future this is a topic that we will delve back into again um maybe we'll look at princess maybe we'll look at the characters of frozen who knows if there is anything that you would like to hear please do get in touch and let us know as always you can reach us on instagram at chat disney or on twitter at chat disney uk and that sums up the majority of the main part of the episode but we're now going to head into our segment which is a live trailer reaction of the latest trailer for disney's wish well, what are you waiting for So we've already had one trailer released for Wish already, which was released a few months ago. Um, and now the second one was released just last week. So I am going to check it out and give you my full thoughts. Who is ready to have their wish granted? Now that one well, don't you think? So I look up at the stars to guide me and throw caution to every morning I'm talking. Star. I am talking. Ah. I wish. So I make this wish. Okay, so it's essentially another teaser trailer, which is what we've already had. I don't think there was anything more in this one than the one that we already got. There's nothing that we can really glean too much from the storyline. I think we see a bit more of um, the King character in this one at the beginning, who is voiced by Chris Pine. Um, very interested to see what that happens with that character. I kind of get the impression that he is maybe going to be a villain of some sort. Um, but yeah, we can hear that song in the background, um, which I think is probably going to be Wish's answer to Let It Go and How Far I'll Go From, from Moana. Um, I'm quite enjoying it already, haven't listened to the full, full version, I don't know if the full version is available to listen to on Spotify or anything like that at the moment. Um, the animation style, again I know we touched upon this before, but it's a new animation style that blends watercolour with 3D animation, um, which is a hybrid that the studio has created. And you can definitely tell when you watch the trailer for this movie that it does look different. I remember before I realised what the animation style was thinking this looks really different and it does so I'm really intrigued to see the movie just because of this animation style I do also think that it looks quite good I think that that whole kind of element of magic that we saw with Encanto for example is, is a popular path to be going down at the moment so I'm excited to see what Wish brings and it's released in November, so I will definitely be going to see it in just a couple of months' time. This year is absolutely flying by. But that concludes today's episode. I do hope that you enjoyed it. As always, if you want to get in touch, please do feel free to reach out to us on Instagram. We are at ChatDisney or on Twitter at ChatDisneyUK. I will be updating the Twitter over the coming weeks, I am not particularly Twitter or social media savvy, so I do apologise in advance that the content posted probably won't be quite as regular as Mercedes usually does. But yeah, for now, that is all. And we will be back next week at the same time, same place. Bye for now. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.